Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to another edition of Revolutionary Ubuntu. You only have to speak to the Come on in, come on in, somebody is time to water in the moment, come on in, come on in, all is a blessing, yeah, respect the boots, no matter what you do, respect the boots, welcome, welcome this Monday, come on in, come on in, all is a blessing, all is a Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
rituals, indeed the customs, the traditions, the history, our sacred stories, as my beloved Denise Augustine says and is and demonstrates our sacred stories. And we are open and available for your well-planned, pre-orchestrated, <laughs> guided tours plus experience here in the beautiful city of New Orleans. In the French Quarter here in the Treme, please do visit our website at www.OurSacredStories.com for your tour plus experience uh, reservations. I am always, always in the act of creating sacred space. Mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, inwardly and outwardly, the creation of sacred space. It's essential to all that we say that we are, all that we can do, all that we say that we be, all that we step into and and demonstrate the creation of sacred space. And then the manifestation bringing forward out of the mist, out of the cloudy realms, out out of the, the, the other side, into our reality, the manifestation, the demonstration of our truth, of what we say, what we create and recreate with our mouths, what we create and recreate inwardly, because indeed, before it comes out your mouth, you've got to first believe it, understand it, process it, and that's why that shadow work is so, so important. Please bear with me. i got a lot to say today. I, I haven't broadcast in a few days. i got a lot to get out. Um, so that shadow work is so, so important because, indeed, those shadows, those things that we don't confront, those things that we don't deal with, those things that we don't heal, become our ghosts, become our demons, and live on to become the generational curses that would befall those that would come after us. We're at a unique crossroads in time. We're at a unique crossroads in the cosmos right now. And the opportunity to bring forward that which mirrors our own image, to bring forward that which mirrors the image of God, indeed, you are God, beloved. You are the goddess, beloved. And you have the power, the ability to create and recreate a reality that mirrors your best image, your best image. So, now is the time to address the shadow work. I understand many of you fell well into shadow work and ancestral work and divination during the initial movement of this COVID-19. Now they're predicting a, a resurgence. And for those of us who are paying attention, who are paying attention to the CDC and the maps and the science, the virus is indeed rising, rising. And, and of course, the media has many well thought out explanations for this. I'm a spiritualist. I'd like to provide my own explanation for this. Some of you are already tapped in to sort of the the negative presence <laughs> that that is controlling our government right now. So please, by all means, vote him out. Vote him out. And I know some of you don't like to hear vote Biden Harris, but vote him out. And so you must vote Biden-Harris. There's no third option. A third option in this case, 
in this case, is, is a thrown away vote. It's one more opportunity for, for who you say you don't support to occupy and reoccupy the White House. But there's a darkness. It's, it's in the comments. It's in people's energy. It, it comes through in customer service, you know, for those of us who, who've moved about a little bit in, in the most recent days. And it's that shadow work. It's that shadow work. And when we're put under pressure, particularly pressure like this, is when you are least paying attention. It's when you're least aware. It's when you're, you're most likely to leave a, a little crack open that unresolved work to come forward. I appreciate those of you who have supported Monstrum PBS. I'm truly honored for the outpouring of support, love, and appreciation for the documentary. Know that that's just the beginning. <laughs> uh, if you were listening to her, there, there, I believe, two more parts, maybe three more parts to just uh, the first hour of the coming season of Monstrum PBS, which will be aired on TV for the first time. Uh, Monstrum has traditionally been a online YouTube platform. PBS produced, but, but an online platform primarily viewed by way of YouTube. Uh, this season and October 30th will be the beginning of Monstrum being a hour-long show and being aired on television. And, of course, New Orleans, New Orleans Voodoo, um, I'm truly grateful and honored to have been selected to be a part of this important project. I'm always honored to be a part of academic-level projects that speak to who we are, to speak to our history, to speak that speak to our truth, and know that I'm always paying attention. <laughs> I'm always paying attention. And, and as a shady Labor Day Virgo with double numbers, as I am, um, I like to throw up tests, you know, and, and I look at what's crazy popular in my stream, over 2,000 views. And then I look at those who take time to pay attention to truth, to history, to documentation, to research. This idea that voodoo and, and indeed witchcraft and, and magic and black magic is sort of this, this illusionary play thing that we see in, in social media is not only so wrong, but it's so hurtful when so many people are already hurting Oh, you might say your, your issue is your relationship right now. Oh, you might say your issue is your finances right now. But people are hurting. And so the other little challenges in our life are just symptoms of something much deeper, much deeper. And so people are turning to magic, are turning to voodoo, are turning to spirituality and religion for hope, for change, for some idea of, of transformation. It was one of the things that originally uh, sort of drew me deeper into voodoo. Voodoo is one of the things that I, first things that I've ever known. If you haven't heard that part of my story, it's one of the first things I've ever known. When I go back in my childhood, three, four-year-old, five-year-old memory, one of the first conversations that I could hear being discussed around the card table, around the domino game, you know, at the, at the family function, and they tell the kids to, go and sit in that room or go sit upstairs and adults go downstairs and have an adult party. Um, 
many of us, I'm sure many of you, we listen, you know, and that was one of the conversations that I heard first that I first realized had a great degree of energy attached to it, both negative and positive. Those who wanted to speak about it freely and openly, God bless you, ain't Vicky. And then those who wanted to tone it down, hush it up. And that goes back to the origins of voodoo, B-O-O-D-O-O. I am claiming, reclaiming my power. I am reclaiming my ancestral lineage to voodoo with four O's. Okay? And you can clip it. You can meme it. You can do whatever you want to with it. That woman called you bastard children. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) In Instagram, she called you bastard children. She said that voodoo with four O's is the bastard child of Haitian voodoo. Bastard children. In the production that I'm presently a part of, Sister went even further and spelled out voodoo with four O's and then called you vulgar. Vulgar. She made a distinction that this white author wrote a fictional book and brought the vulgar demonstration of voodoo with four O's to the America. Roll back the tape. That's what she said. Now, let's look at the history. Let's look at the truth. (laughs) And I'm grateful for my regular participants. I'm grateful for my godchildren who put up with my mess. I'm I'm grateful for my clients, you know, who who have long patience in dealing with with the prince and, and, and my little quirks. But Many of you are here for that very reason. My quirks don't allow me to bend the truth. My quirks don't allow me to to, uh, blur fiction, American horror story, from reality, from documentary, from academic level pursuits about what's truth, what's truth about this tradition. And so some of you will say, oh, he spent so much time in the history. I do. I do because some of you won't read the book. Some of you won't do the research. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for people like Arisha right now in the chat. I'm grateful for others who are willing to not only do the research, but to go well beyond what I say, what I present, what I offer. And often, often, They come back to me and say, wow, I can't find nothing on that word. I can't find much on that topic. I can't find a whole lot on that information. And it's because there are, no matter how you spell voodoo, there are various forms of voodoo in the world. Hollywood, imagination, creativity, television, creative license. Then there's that voodoo that people just refuse to let go of, no matter how unreal we keep telling you it is. People who refuse to let go of the idea that we are stabbing voodoo dolls. People who refuse to let go of the idea that somehow voodoo is candle magic. Voodoo is not candle magic. Hello? It's it's not. It's not. Voodoo is nature. There is no voodoo without nature. There is no ifa without nature. There is no akan, no fa, no ga, no igbu 
without nature. We also have to look at the motivation that continues to fuel while I do this show, why I do what I do, and that's revolution. Revolution. Until I'm free, no one is free. Until I'm safe to walk the street, no one is safe to walk the street. Until voodoo is acknowledged and respected to the same degree as your Christianity and Islam and Judaism, I'm going to fight this with every fiber of my being, with every demonstration. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to listen. That that video right now, I believe, is at 112,000 views in a matter of days. People are paying attention. And it's not new. It's not new. We've been trying to give the truth about voodoo for years. But voodoo has not been as popular as it is right now. Magic has not been as popular as it is right now. Hoodoo has not been as popular as it is right now. And in the, in the course of that popularity, there are the marketeers, the stores, the outlets, the, the, the overnight pop-up botanicas that are everywhere in Twitter and, 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 and Instagram, which are merely just people who found a way to buy wholesale or large quantity, you know, the things that you like to buy your candles and, you know, your, your, your lucky money oil and, you know, all, all that stuff that's not voodoo. That's really not hoodoo. But it's really a, a modern form of witchcraft that's easily accessible to the masses who desire quick magic. And there's no quick magic, no such thing. No such thing. Even if we go back into the storybooks and, and the fantasies and, you know, Merlin and, you know, some of the European stories that have been passed down to us. There's no quick magic. There's no, ma- no practitioner, no sage, no prophet that just popped up out of the ground, you know, and stepped into their destiny. Destiny is a journey. Destiny is a walk. Slow walk, fast walk, but it's a walk, and it it requires a great deal of work. I want to talk about African medicine and magic in the Americas. Uh, Votes, Robert, the Geographical Review, conquest and colonization of the Americas by Europeans was accompanied by an unprecedented blending of old world and new world diseases ethnomedical systems, and plant-based pharmacopias. Romantic visions of salubrious American Eden, free of illness and aging, yielded to the reality of epidemic and premature death. Indigenous peoples succumbed in droves to exotic viruses. Mediterranean colonists battled new tropical maladies. And African captives, overworked, underfed, fell prey to both. Colonial physicians, few in number and often self-trained, doled out the medical care then known to late medieval and Renaissance Europe. Barbers, surgeons, bleeders, and priests, whose views of causation range from an astrological imbalances to the effects of evil spirits and bad air. 
responded to the needs of the growing European population. But neglect by slave owners and the exorbitant cost of physician services and, and pharmaceutical supplies forced African shadow to tend to their own medical problems. So African priests, herbalists, magicians initiated into their trade before passage to the Americas pursued their vocation to the extent possible in their new urban and rural settings. Firmly established in colonial times, African-based medicine, magic, and their associated plant pharmacopias have persisted and in many cases flourished in the Americas. You can literally go into the average yard in the Deep South, Georgia, the Carolinas, Louisiana, Mississippi, and just examine what grows up out of the ground naturally. What is it that people keep cutting back or applying herbicides to? You know, what is that exactly? And when we start looking at what these plants are, like wandering Jew, for instance, many people see wandering Jew as a weed. People see wandering Jew as a parasite. Many treat wandering Jew as a parasite. But not only is the plant edible, it has the medicinal elements that deal with things like um, Alzheimer's and mental illness and, and how our brains process information. So we know that not only did the European settlers bring their known products, as well as products that would have carried with them, you know, through rodent activity or, or through, you know, bird activity or animal activity. But the enslaved Africans also brought their well-trained, well-earned knowledge of plant life. And what they could not readily identify in the New World, they brought with them. And that which they could not readily identify in the new world, they learned how to use it. They adopted new ways of implementing the new vegetation, the new plants into what was already common knowledge among our healers and our spiritual practitioners, our uh, midwives and, and doulas, if you will. The demographics of the slave trade most clearly delimited where and to what degree African Majo medical systems diffused into the New World. You see a large concentration of Yoruba in Cuba or, or Yoruba practice, but I'm still waiting to see the, the statistical numbers in terms of DNA that speak to how large of a Yoruban population was present in, in, Cuba, in Cuba at the time that we know that Lukumi and Santeria were being uh, formulated. I shared on a previous show uh, a document from 23andMe that suggested that our sort of notion that the African-American is somehow the most watered down, the most inbred um, of the slave colonies is scientifically not true. In fact, they're finding that we are the most African by way of DNA here in the U.S. in comparison to much larger 
slave populations like Brazil, for instance, which has the largest uh, uh, enslaved population um, during during the time of, of, of enslavement. So that knowledge, that power, that energy, which I often say survived in the DNA, traveled with us, endured with us, and, and is now resurfacing again in its most present moment in time space in our new desire for, our new interest in not just magic and, and ATR-based religious you know, practices, African traditional religious systems, uh, but also in, in how we eat, being natural, being vegan, being vegetarian, and of course those who are uh, interested in, in herbology and, and creating apothecaries and botanicas, primarily around the roots the herbs and the plants. Um, our favorite and beloved FNF, uh, may it rest in Orun, o- uh, was our most popular uh, botanica here in the city of New Orleans on, on Broad Street. Uh, many of you are familiar with FNF uh, spiritual supplies, FNF candle supplies, and they had a huge array of herbs, roots, powders in that shop. But it was very interesting to me the sort of focus, as is in most places, on candles, and particularly candles with labels on them. You know, anyone can put a label on a candle. You, you all do realize that. <laughs> anyone today with, with the technology can put a label, you know, on a candle. It doesn't necessarily make it anything more than a candle. Um, when, when we think of the notion of dressing, you know, well, what does it take to, to dress a candle? Uh, well, it's about how we cleanse the candle, how we prepare the candle. Sometimes we add things to the candle. And in most cases, I'm not interested in the labels um, or even the color, depending on the work uh, that I'm trying to to achieve. So forgive me, uh, chat room. Greetings, everyone. I acknowledge everyone in divine, all-blessed peace and love today. If I didn't call you out personally or individually, please forgive me. And my phone lines are open and available at area code 845-277-9143, 845-277-9143. Be patient with me. Do press the number one on your telephone keypad, and I'll be more than happy to address you. I'll be more than happy to unmute your mic. Hey, um, who do occultism greeting? Can we talk about Oshun attracting death to someone? Um, you always ask these questions that require me to need more information. <laughs> uh, what exactly do you mean by that? Um, let me say it this way. Any power, any spirit can attract death. Let me say it in a, in a much nicer way. Any herb, plant, root, tree can attract death if it's not used properly. If it's poisonous and you don't know it. You know, the elderberry tree. We love some elderberries, but you can't fool with the leaves or the stem, you know, or, or the plant itself. It, it's indeed poisonous. So when I hear, you know, any particular... Orisha, you know, draw any Orisha can 
operate in, in left-handed, right-handed. Any Orisha has polarity. Any Loa has duality. Any Loa has polarity. Any spirit has balance. So when we move anything out of balance, you know, you can kill yourself by drinking too much water. One of my favorite sayings is drink more water, stop lying and drink more water. Stop lying and drink more water. But if we looked at that, address that holistically, medically, scientifically, now you can drown your body. You can drown your cells. You can kill yourself by overdoing anything. And, and that's just water. We know that if we play around with our breathing too much, you know, hyperventilation or uh, 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 suffocating, self-suffocation, you know, anything that brings life, can also bring death. Anything that is life has that component attached to it. It's attached to our very being as humans. We are born to die, some say. We are only born to be present, to do our work, in whatever uh, allocated time frame, and then to move on to, to the next thing, to the next project, to the next level, to the next uh, existence. So, um, I don't want to say it's just Oshun, the way you have your question here. Um, now, any water deity, Mamiwata, Oshun, the Sirens, Lazaren in, in, in Haitian voodoo, you know, has this element to it of taking people below the surface of, of water. You know, it said that if you are not careful around Oshun, if you're not careful around uh, Yimaya, you can lose your life in, in, in the water. She can capture you, pull you away. Um, I've seen ceremonies at the ocean where people have become possessed, you know, during, during the ceremony, and, and we've had to grab them, you know, and, and keep them from getting washed out in, into the sea, washed out into the ocean. And there are other videos on YouTube, um, West Africa, Haiti, you know, where you see a very similar uh, dynamic. Um, so I, I don't want to again, feed all the negative um, stuff, please, um, Zoman, 845-277-9143. I don't want to feed sort of the already present negative energy that people want to attach onto African traditions of, of any kind. Greetings, Neophyte Bokur. Greetings, Mom. Peace and blessings. Um, but anything that's done out of order, anything that's done improperly um, can can harm you as, as well as, you know, as using things in their correct perspective can bring healing. So um, I don't think it's fair to, to say that that's just an Oshun thing specifically. Um, indeed, that's any, any power, any deity. We attribute of course, certain things to Baron Samdi, Baron Cemetery. You all do know there's more than one Baron. Um, we attach things to Gede. We attach traditions to, to Egun and Egungun. You know, in the Egungun festival, the whirling, spinning, suited up ancestral demonstration is it, said to be magical unto itself, and we lose our self-identity, we're in the realm of the, of the dead. We're in the realm of the ancestors. So in a 
traditional Egungu ceremony in West Africa, you don't touch the dancers. It, it, and people will run. People will flee because it's said that just in the touching, they can capture your spirit and, and carry you up, you know, into the heavens. Please bear with me, y'all. Somebody is at my door. Uh, just give me a moment, y'all. Because I am having work done on the house, so it could be that. So give me a moment. Give me three minutes. Mystery and wonder prevail. Why you acting like a badass? Slow down, nigga. 
fuck around and break you all proper, you gonna need to see the fucking witch doctor. Come on. Jesus, 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 your patience. Thank you so much for holding. I had to run to the door um, and I'm back with you now. Um, Beloved, I'm going to unmute your mic. Please tell us who's calling and where you're calling from. Hello, hello. This is uh, the young Gitchy man from before. Calling back again from Maryland. Okay, I can just barely hear you. Oh, I said hello, hello. I said this is the young Gitchy man from before calling back from Maryland. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. We certainly do um, appreciate you calling in. Did you have a question or a comment? No, no. I'm just going to comment, you know, a little small comment and leave as before. It was about the whole thing that you were saying about um, your, you explaining to them what voodoo is as a principle, aside from the individual traditions, you know, where it, where it comes about in the world. Okay, I need you to speak louder because um, they can't hear you very well in the chat. Okay, my apologies, my apologies. I was saying it was it was in relation to your definition of voodoo as a as a as a principle, as opposed to the you know the the minor forms that it takes throughout individual places. You know? Right. That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. I, right. It was just you know I was going to elaborate on. It was similar to what I had called in here one time before and said about, you know, the origin of voodoo, the whole concept of voodoo. Uh, in most of those big languages, uh, voodoo is... I, I've seen there's a, there's a similarity between uh, voodoo and they have, you know, wound as a heart or blood. You ever notice that? Yes, yes. Okay. I'm I'm just really struggling yeah. to hear you. Okay. Well, I was saying that they, well, I don't know. I'll call it later. My apologies. I'll call so it another time. Because you always have um, important information to share, but we just can't hear you that well. Yes, yes. I don't know. It might okay. be something with my phone. Across. If you can call back, that would be good. All right, all right. Thank you. The demographics of the slave trade most clearly determine where and to what degree African magical medical systems diffuse into the new world. 
another way of saying that is uh, where the larger groups of specific ethnic practices, whether they were from the same ethnic group or had shared or similar practices, where, where they cluster together in the largest numbers is often where we see the established systems that we identify today sort of being born from. For instance, Candable in, in Brazil, Lucumi in, in Cuba, Maria Leonza in Venezuela, and of course, Voodoo with four O's here in, in North America, where the volume and duration of slavery were heavy and protected African-based ethnomedicine not only survived, but also in some cases came to be predominant. Brazil, which absorbed more than 4 million African immigrants, retains African religious and medical systems so orthodox that until recently, Nigerian priests undertook uh, pilgrimages to Brazil to rediscover ceremonies long forgotten in Africa. With a total of approximately 4 million slaves imported, the old Spanish main exhibits magical religious systems scarcely different from those in Africa. By contrast, North America, which received only half a million Africans during the entire slave trade, witnessed minor survival of their ethno-medical systems. Cultural diffusion from Africa to the Americas was indirectly fostered by the insufferable conditions of plantation existence. Treatment of slaves varied among owners, ranging from benign paternalism to Satanism, where conditions were most brutal, high mortality combined with self I'm sorry, combined with sub-replacement level fertility to generate a constant demand for fresh captives. In the Dutch colony of Suriname, 300,000 Africans arrived between 1668 and 1823, but scarcely 50,000 descendants survived at the end of that period. In Rio de Janeiro, even after three centuries of sustained slave traffic, more than 73% of the 1832 slave population was African-born. In Latin America, at least, the captive labor force was numerically dominated by slaves born not in the Americas, but in Africa. Included among the ranks of these newly arrived laborers were priests, Magicians, herbalists, who frequently retained, were retained, even as slaves, a measure of their previous status. This, in turn, facilitated the survival of a social hierarchy necessary to the existence of shaman class and reinforced the collective knowledge of African ethnomedicine among the resident black population. We often point to figures like Marie Laveau, for having not only uh, popularized our ethno-medicinal traditions, but also popularizing uh, voodoo itself. We don't hear quite as much talk or conversation about first who taught Marie Laveau, those who uh, were her predecessors, 
and also those who indeed had just as much a following, if not more of a following and reputation than Marie Laveau, but did not gain the popularized, uh, popularizing um, of, of authors and, and musicians and, and book writers and music uh, writers. We don't hear enough about Aunt Julia Brown, uh, who is said to have wiped out not just Frenier, uh, but, but two other towns, you know, next to the town that she uh, swore would die when she died. Uh, we don't hear any talk about Dr. John Montanay, uh, the well-known uh, New Orleans uh, musician, Dr. John uh, incorporated his name from Dr. John Montanay, uh, who was an enslaved African, uh, known to be a, a root worker, a conjure man, a hoodoo doctor, uh, and, and we don't hear a whole lot of popularizing uh, of him. Uh, we don't hear Bois Coupie, Bois Coupie, who I introduced uh, on a previous show here, who was, again, an enslaved African, uh, who was said to defy bullets, who was said to defy Mutilation. They cut off his arm, which is where he got his name, uh, Bois Coupli, from. Uh, and until they finally uh, captured him and, and murdered him, uh, he grew to legendary Orisha-like, Loa-like status. But these stories are not told. These stories are not recounted. These stories are not reshared primarily for the original reason that they weren't shared, uh, which is our empowerment, our ability to free ourselves from slavery, mental slavery, physical slavery, financial slavery, personal slavery on, on every, every level and degree. The demonizing of voodoo, of root work, of conjure, was all about demonizing our ability to regain, recapture self-empowerment from our traditions, from our traditions. This in turn facilitated the survival of our social hierarchy. Indeed, shaman classes still um, manage to live on until present, present, present time, until right now in, in this present moment, and are reinforced by the collective knowledge of the African ethnomedicine among the community where it's found. So just like you only find a, a, a certain variety of plants in, in the Carolinas, you are going to find a, a certain type of practice in the Carolinas. Just like you would find a certain type of plant and vegetation in the Gulf Coast, then you would find the usage of Gulf Coast supplies, Gulf Coast resources, and how we apply uh, uh, medicine as well as as voodoo. Um, when I think about the organized system of Kandable and, and Lukumi, which were allowed to sort of thrive south of the border, much of our knowledge and our traditions had to be suppressed, had to be hidden. So it's not entirely fair to suggest that that knowledge was um, lost, if you will, among the African Americans here uh, in the U.S. Are your ancestors bastards? Are your ancestors vulgar? I'm here to revive, revive a sense of self-empowerment that belongs uniquely 
to us the religious division between Protestantism in British North America and Roman Catholicism in Latin America also contributed to the degree of cultural retention. I say over and over again that the, the church, the Catholic church, had an agreement with the slave owners in Latin America to allow them to continue their Yoruba systems of practice. That There was no such agreement in America. There was no such agreement in the Deep South. And indeed, Congo Square was the only public place that we were allowed to come out and drum and dance kalinda and bambula and conga and, and remember our system, to remember our, our practice. Indeed, keeping the ethno-cultural tradition of voodoo alive in Louisiana, even if it's hidden, even if it's masked. Uh, let me check my phone line, beloved. Okay. I was hoping you were going to call back. Eight four five two seven seven nine one four three. Just press the number one, um, though, man, or any of my callers uh, when you're back on the line, and I'll uh, I'll bring you back into the <clears throat> the conversation. Uh, greetings, Oracle Sophia. Greetings, beloved. Uh, Neophyte Bokor, you are in the middle of researching a sister-in-law that may have some connection to Miss Julia Brown. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. I also like to invoke the name and spirit of Julia Brown because she's one of the few African-Americans that we know of who actually received the 40 acres and the, and the mule. Uh, I had to mute you um, briefly neophyte Bocor uh, because of the background noise. I'll, un- I'll unmute you again. Um, Julia Brown and her husband are one of the few African Americans that are actually documented of having received the 40 acres and a mule that, that we like to talk about. Her husband received it. Her husband soon after died somehow. And then, you know, within a year or so after her receiving that, she then died. Um, so, it, you know, I think there's a whole nother level of that story that is still under research um, about how the community may have felt about Julia Brown and, and her husband. Um, it is said that they were one of the, the bigger landowners in that region, uh, just, just northwest of New Orleans, just, just west of Lake Pontchartrain. It is said that they were one of the bigger Landowners, they were landlords. That's in the paperwork. So landlord tenants often have tumultuous relationships. You know, so I think there's much more in that um, uh, neophyte vocor. There's much more in that story of um, Julia Brown. I think that's still yet to be uncovered. But she said one day she was going to die, and she was going to take the whole town with her. And the hurricane wiped out her town. Um, Zoman Gazo, Kisi folks say hoo-hoo blowing, fonu, gonu, anlo, anye, anye. Okay, I, I see you. I hear you. Same as Fonti, same as Ashanti, same as Bono. That's right. And I'll say Susu, blood power, yet. That's why I'm hoping you, you, you can either call back and get a clearer connection. It might be the weather 
Um, I don't know, but try and call in uh, Zoman Gazo, or try and come on screen if you can. Um, Neophyte Bokor, come on in, beloved. What you got to say for us today? I'll try to keep it brief. Um, it was, it, I was fascinated uh, when you brought up uh, Miss Julia Brown, uh, uh, mainly because I had a sister-in-law that was actually trying to ask me about the Browns, uh, seeing how I know about uh, quite a bit. I was wondering uh, if you knew anything about their connection with uh, the Rockefellers. If, if, if the Rockefellers had taken their, uh, their land by, by barter, by trade, by, by, by purchase, I mean, because uh, according to the logistics, uh, it looks like um, the, the Rockefellers had bought that territory uh, some time ago. I'd say early 1900s, uh, and I, I was curious to know about that because uh, her family refuses to say anything else outside of the like the grandparents refuse to talk about some of the history there, mainly because there's some money issues. That's what I read her cards uh, when I read when I read them was that there's financial things that are being suppressed, held back. Right, and when she went and actually confronted her grandparents about it, that was the truth. So I'm wondering if it may be like because it just it just connects so so seamlessly when I look at the logistics part about it uh, that maybe they bought that land, maybe there's some upset ancestors. Listen, per, per, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Um, my cousin Paul Marshall would be the better person to address that, um, and, he, and he's just not here today. Um, Paul Wayne, if you can hear me, call in, pop in. Um, he's really into uh, documentation, and particularly as it relates to um, stolen land, stolen property, um, stolen 40 acres and a mule, um, stolen lineages as it relates to African-Americans. Um, I'm not quite as well-versed in that. Um, you, you sort of have to have a legal mind. Um, you, you sort of have to have the patience to sort of go through that paperwork and, and, and archives for that particular um, subject. And, and I just haven't had the time to look at that aspect of it. Uh, Paul traces it not only to the Rockefellers, but the Queen of England and, and the Bilderbergs. I mean, he can really tell the story of stolen legacy, stolen money. Um, so perhaps, uh, perhaps we know that she was she and her husband were one of the larger property property owners. Um, uh, we can surmise that there may have been some kind of feelings about them. Uh, they were still black, you know, in in the time of enslavement, free or not. Um, and, and had land, you know, so there's a degree of, of hateration that automatically arises when you are successful, when you're visible, when you do something well, there's always those people who are going to have some kind of negative feeling about you. So there's definitely some relative truth uh, that should be investigated that can be looked at um, uh, in, your, in your theory. Uh, we also have to take into account um, the whole town and two towns adjacent 
to it were completely wiped out during this um this night I think it was nineteen fourteen. Let me look let me pull that up. Hurricane. Uh, what happened for those of you who are, are not familiar with Aunt Julia Brown? Um she died after having sung the blues and warned the town that she was going to die and take the whole town um, with her. She died, and on the day of her funeral is when this hurricane arose. It's called the Manshack Wetlands. The Manshack Wetlands. That's the area of the region that, that Neophyte Bokur and I are talking about. Um, that he's suggesting that the, Rock- the Rockefellers may have been involved in some kind of land purchase there. But the Manshack wetlands, about a half hour northwest of New Orleans, are thick with swamp. In the summer, the water is pea green, covered in tiny leaves and crawling with insects that hide in the shadows of the ancient ghost gray cypress trees. The boaters who enter the swamps face two main threats. Aside from sunstroke and dehydration, the alligators, who, most, who, who mostly lurk just below the surface out of view, and the broken logs that float through the muck. Remnants of the days when the swamp was home to the now abandoned logging town of Ruddick. Uh, Ruddick, Frenier, and one more town that I'm going to mention um, were the three towns that were destroyed. I also think it's important for me to note, for those of you who've never been to Louisiana, um, who aren't familiar with sort of the terrain, uh, as you come south, Highway 55, uh, Highway 57 coming from the east, Highway 55 coming from the north, uh, there's another highway on the most western edge of Lake Pontchartrain, for those who don't want to travel the world's longest bridge across the train, um, there are communities that are literally swamp towns. Um, they drive boats, not cars, um, and their houses are built on platforms just above the swamp, just above the water. And so this town of Ruddick, with, with this neighboring community of, of Frenier, uh, was a logging town. And so they they were used to living with water. They were used to living in the middle of the swamp, if if you will, um, on high-rise platforms, on on raised housing. And you can still see that as you drive uh, south, uh, you know, an hour or less coming into New Orleans. Uh, Look to your left, look to your right. uh, You're seeing houses. You're seeing little communities that, that appear to be floating out on the water. But some say that anyone entering the swamp should be aware of a more supernatural threat, the curse of voodoo queen Julia Brown. Brown, sometimes also called Julia White, Julia Black, Julia Red, is described in local legend as a voodoo priestess or hoodoo practitioner who lived at the edge of the swamp and worked with residents of her town of Frenier. She was known for her charms and her curses, as well as for singing eerie songs with her guitar on her porch. One of the most memorable and most disturbing, one day I'm going to die, and I'm going to take the whole town with me. 
And she sang that song and sang that song until she died. Back when Brown was alive at the turn of the 20th century, the towns of Ruddick, Frenier, and Napton were proper, prosperous settlements clustered on the edge of Lake Pontchartrain, sustained by logging for centuries-old cypress trees and farming cabbages in the thick black soil. The railroad was the town's lifeline, bringing groceries from New Orleans and hauling away the logs and cabbages as far north as Chicago. They had no roads, no doctors, no electricity, but had managed to carve out cohesive and self-reliant communities. That all changed on September 29, 1915, when a massive hurricane swept in from the Caribbean. In where Julia lived, the storm surge rose 13 feet, and the winds howled at 125 miles an hour. Many of the town folk sought refuge in the railroad depot, which collapsed and killed 25 people. Altogether, close to 300 people in Louisiana died, with almost 60 in Frenier and, and Ruddick alone. When the storm cleared on October 1st, Frenier, Ruddick, and Napton had been completely destroyed. Homes flattened, buildings demolished, miles of railway tracks washed away. One of the few survivors later described how he had clung to an upturned cypress tree and shut his ears against the screams of these drowning people in the swamp. The hurricane seemed to come out of nowhere. But if you listen to the guides who take tourists into the Manshack Swamp, the storm was a result of the wrath of Julia Brown. Brown, they say, laid a curse on the town because she felt taken advantage of. She felt taken for granted a curse that came true with the swarm swept through on the day of her funeral and killed everyone around. On certain tours, the guides take people past a run-down swamp graveyard. And the graveyard is not real, by the way. The graveyard, for those of you who take that tour, it is a prop. Because remember now, the entire town was washed away, including the cemetery. And it is said the only body was the casket of Julia Brown that was found that survived this hurricane and was then subsequently reburied. So we know that Julia Brown is buried there. And then there's a prop cemetery, if you will, that has been set up around that, that location. But it's really the only thing that exists until this day. Um, in the middle of that swamp area. Uh, it's a prop, but a good place to tell people that Brown's ghost still haunts the swamps, as do the souls of those who perished in the hurricane. The legend of Julia Brown has become the area's most popular ghost story, spreading the paranormal shows and even um, Reddit, where some claim to have seen Brown cackling at the edge of the water. Now, listen, I can't give it away because I'm under contract, okay? But I filmed recently, I filmed in the swamp um, in relation to this story, in relation to Julia Brown. So just know it's coming. 
uh, Nat Geo. Thank you very much, Nat Geo, History Channel, the Travel Channel. Just know it's coming. <laughs> My telling of Julia Brown. Um, so Neophyte Bocor, um, they may very well have uh, acquired the land um, maybe after. I, I don't know. Now, now, she may have, see, again, it would require us going back in the history. Who, who were the Rockefellers in 1910, in, in 1900? So your story could be very well plausible. Are you still with me? Let me, let me bring you in. Yeah, I'm still here. I was trying to see if I can muzzle this mic. I got a new oh, headset. You sound and better. It, it seems to be. Yeah, you sound much yeah. better. A zoom in. Um, please call in again. Beloved, you always have so much good information. Just call in. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Hmm. So, um, this was, um, this was a couple of, um, oh, th- this was about maybe two months ago that she came to me with this, uh, this question. Um, because I'm, I'm always trying to find these connections between different, um, different, ethnic groups and last names, right, to try to connect some dots for, uh, for people just on a, on a smaller scale uh, to get them interested in get, uh, getting their, their ancestry work uh, done. Of course, not through me, because um, I don't feel I'm qualified for that. So uh, I make sure I try to direct them to ancestor uh, uh, DNA work to find the factual uh, things instead of just coming to me and we're trying to find out you know what my opinion is but i do try to give them some direction and but the direction that i i keep coming to is is just kind of tucked away neatly in the names of the uh locations mm-hmm. locales city names uh because when you get down south these city names are tied into uh uh, banker fa- uh, family names and major corporation uh, family names that are still with us uh, today as far as the corporation is concerned. It, it's, it's kind of a weird uh, connection I keep running into. The older the name, the older the place. Right. Uh, right there. It's right Zom- there in front of us. Zom- yeah, Zoman Gazo is making many connections um, just using words that travel African culture, um, which, again, suggests the, the unification, the holding together uh, of our information in spite of, you know, whatever catastrophic uh, environments we were forced to be in. So the word that you typed in, Zoman, um, M-O-K-O, is that Mako Mako or Moko Moko? It reminds me of a a traditional uh, New Orleans cultural song, cultural phenomenon that um, that we sing here um, in New Orleans. It's sung among uh, the carnival tradition. Uh, Mardi Gras is also sung among um, Mardi Gras Indians. The Dixie Cups popularized it. Uh, I want to say back in the 60s, 64, I think, the Dixie Cups popularized it. My grandma and your grandma was sitting by a fire. My grandma told your grandma, I'm going to set your flag on fire. Talk about hey now, hey now, 
Aiko Aiko Dande, Giacomo Fina Anane, Giacomo Fina Ne. Now, many people have tried to dissect that. Uh, I even believe there's a, a Wikipedia entry where they try and dissect um, the meanings and, 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 and the uh, original origins of Aiko 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 Dande. Giacomo Fino Anyane, Giacomo Finane, and, and what it really means. Um, and indeed, it is traced back to the Fon, the Ewe, those West African ethnocultural groups that uh, enslavement sought to, to wipe out or to, to eliminate or, or to even dilute. And so those traditions survive um, even till this day. Um, Aiko Aiko is a much-covered New Orleans song that tells of a parade collision between two tribes of Mardi Gras Indians. It also has uh, obvious voodoo elements. I I like to say, uh, my mambo and your mambo, my mambo to your mambo, I'm going to set your flag on fire. And what flags are they talking about? Now, Mardi Gras Indians indeed carry flags. Flag is one position in a Mardi Gras crew, in a Mardi Gras tribe. But flag is also strongly elemental of voodoo, <laughs> of voodoo, and, and particularly Haitian-oriented voodoo, where, where the flags are strong. Now, you still see flags in Ghana and Nigeria, you know, modern demonstrations, you know, of these flags. Uh, But it's one of the elements of voodoo that has survived, uh, even to this day. Uh, The lyric itself uh, uh, is said to mean several things. Listen, listen, our love made our king be born. Our love made it happen. Others say it means code language. God is watching. Jacquemin causes it. We will be emancipated. Jacquemin urges it. We will wait. Some say that it was coded language. Liki, iki, o, liki, iki, o, ogu, shalode, papa ogu, Jacquemin, papa ogu, shalode. So, those roles of voodoo and culture and tradition and practice and conditioning, what environment is the tradition being forced to survive in? What environment is the tradition being forced to uh, hide itself in, mask itself in? So uh, I appreciate you, Zuman Gazo. I just wish I could get you uh, on screen or back on the phone line. Uh, in a way that we can, uh, in a way that we can, you know, clearly hear you. So yeah, there's there's a definite line that continues from West Africa to the Caribbean to South America to to North America that continues to unify what is real about voodoo in America. Voodoo is not witchcraft. Voodoo is not quote-unquote black magic. Voodoo is not evil. Voodoo is not wicked. Voodoo is not about the controlling 
if you will, of people. Uh, one of the points that we spoke to in the documentary, um, Monstrum, on PBS, uh, was the idea that um, voodoo, to use controls, here in the West originated with the idea of controlling enslavement, controlling the overseer and controlling the master, and, and preventing rape and abuse and, and mutilation um, un, under the powers of voodoo. The notion of controlling your enemies and, and controlling your lovers and all of that is modern in context and, and goes well into, you know, the regions of, of magic and, and dark magic, wicked uses of magic, which were never the original intent of ancestral work, ancestral honor. And, and that's why, and particularly in my house, we always start with ancestors. You've got to have a foundation of ancestors. When you clear about who you are, who your ancestors are, where you came from, what power is available to you, I don't need witch, you know, I don't need witchcraft for that. I don't need voodoo dolls. I don't need to work a hex on, on everybody who, you know, feels some kind of way about who I am, you know, and, and what I'm doing. There are so much bigger challenges. There's so much bigger goals that we could set out for ourselves, and particularly right now. Um, are you still with me, Neophyte Bokur? I don't like the Thank idea. You. Thank you. Man, I don't like the idea right now that's coming from social media, that's coming from celebrities, that's coming from pop cultural figures, you know, influencers, that we should do nothing. We, we don't have a choice. The, the two choices that are available to us, you know, no one, you know, particularly cares for, whether it's red or blue. So the idea that we should do nothing. I really have a problem with that, and particularly right now. And particularly right now. The, the idea that we could have four more years to grab them by the pussy just, you know, just makes me crazy. Just makes me crazy. Yeah. Uh, right now, the, the youth, uh, I would say my generation, the millennials, are quite divided, growing, but quite divided right now as far as whether or not they're going to participate in this um, shell of, a, uh, of an election or are they not going to participate in it. Well, whether, they, whether we participated in it or not, it's uh, things are going to continue moving forward without you or, or not. Are you participating in the revolution about it? Revolution has already happened. It's already in full motion. Are you rolling with the tide or are you being swept away by it? And listen, There's way too many, way too many things going on right now for you to be, to just ignore the writing on the wall. And, and please forgive me, I got I got to jump in. Yeah. And behind that red or blue, Democrat or Republic, you know, Trump versus Biden, it's also this idea that, on the one hand, Trump, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist group. On the other hand, and, and not so much Democratic or blue, but in the black community, 
we're we're now being told Black Lives Matter is gay, but Black Lives Matter is 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 an affront to our community. Black Lives Matter is a problem, and I'm finding, particularly at my age, that that voice shows up every four years, every time there's a police killing, every time people decide to go out and march or protest or, 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 or make some kind of move, there's this outer voice that represents, you know, white supremacy, racism, greater America. I expect that voice. But then there's this other voice, black voice, celebrity voice, influencer voice, pop cultural voice that is sending out misleading information, that's sending out disempowerment-based information, that's, that's telling you the whole and stand by and wait. It's the new hurry up and wait, except now it's in blackface. So, so if you make a move, you're judged. If you don't make a move, you're judged. And the talking head always have something to talk about, no matter who does what. So, I'm, yeah, so, you know, it's real easy to say it's between Biden and Trump. It's real easy. But when you start picking it apart, health care, women's rights, the rights of gay, lesbian, transgender individuals, the right to love who, who, who you will, who, who God chose for you, the idea that somehow now COINTEL, because it's the new COINTEL, this whole Black Lives Matter and, and this turn on it, and I mean vicious turn on it, I've noticed a, a dramatic drop in response to BL, hashtag B, BLM, hashtag Black Lives Matter. I've seen a dramatic drop in terms of support and participation to particular posts where those hashtags are, are used, and particularly from in our community. And again, I'm old enough to know and understand what COINTELPRO is. COINTELPRO. Oh, yeah. And so uh, this, this is the new Uh From my understanding, um, if you are black in America, you are the one that's under attack. That's always been the case. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily like matter what your sexuality, what your preference is, as far as gender recognition matters. It matters whether or not you you pass the brown paper bag test or not. Now, now, now hold the up. Police officers are now are, hold are up. Killing everyone. Hold up. Now I know I've, I've been interrupting you a lot today, so because oh. you you just reminded me of another point I wanted to make. Now you didn't say it but you are walking your way up to something that I hear a lot in my community. Right. And that is you black before anything, you black before anything. And that's one of the reasons that they're turning on the black lives matter movement because of their inclusivity to the mm-hmm. entire black community, not, not just the heterosexual black community. And I want to remind people that the black Panther Constitution was decidedly anti-homophobic. Now, I know a lot of y'all are too young to even know what I'm talking about. The Black Panther Party had a constitution, a written constitution, 
And one of their tenets was against forms of discrimination to include sexual orientation. So when I hear you black first, why are you focusing on A, B, C, or D? You black first, but I have to consider my walk in the community. I have to consider how I'm treated in the community. I have to consider how black folks feel about me in my own community. So I am indeed black. I'm indeed gay. <laughs> I'm indeed non-binary, gender-defining. But but it's it's still black. It's still all black. So so I agree with you. I do. But there's a there's a strong current in the so-called conscious community where we're not allowed to even acknowledge that we're anything other than just black. I, I also struggle with that because it continues to remove the idea of ethnic cultural lineage because it's here in the U.S. where we sort of solidified black and the usage of black and now that's a world term black but if we go into Africa they're not going to say I'm black they're going to say I'm Nigerian they're going to say I'm Igbo they're going to say I'm Hausa they're going to say I'm Yoruba you know they're going to say I'm Ethiopian and then they're going to speak of their ethnic group and we in America, don't necessarily have that, and so in right. that we're at, a, uh, we're at a disadvantage mainly because we come from so many of these houses in Africa, right? These different countries. We come from so many different countries that instead of uh, acknowledging where specifically we come from, mm-hmm. we're at a quote-unquote melting pot when in actuality it's more like a salad bowl all these different separate things that come together and make one thing I, I take vote in listening to, to the rhetoric coming from the talking heads where they are inclusive to everybody else like when, when I hear like like for example when I hear people of color, my brain automatically resets it to its original form, colored people. When I hear colored people, that's when, it, that's when it's like, okay, that's exactly what they mean. That's, that's the, the rhetoric that they're using when they're addressing me. But there's also this history of benign neglect where they kind of blanket everybody else just to suppress the fact that there was a, a, a great sin that this country was founded on. And in order to alleviate the guilt from that, uh, that, that crime, you have to kind of ignore it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been ignored for such a long period of time where it's uh, the, the lump in the carpet is, is not just, it's, it's, the stuff is starting to make a lump in the carpet with the, the stuff that they've swept under the rug. Well, then, well, then and the now AT, we're tripping over it. Well, in the ATR community, in the spirituality and religious community, we bash the children. We bash the children. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know y'all wonder, why does he keep going back to that? You know, there was a post in Instagram. It was uniquely timed with the releasing of this PBS broadcast mantra that, that we did about, about zombies. 
And I've looked at the count. Let me pull up my Instagram. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it now. 176 views. 176 views. In a community that says they are about Africa, in a community that says that they are about ATR, in a community that says that they're about Orisha and voodoo and, 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 and take it seriously. Now, now, if I did a segment on, you know, how to make love spells and, and voodoo dolls, a thousand likes. And, and I tested it. I'm not just talking. I, I tested it. I posted very unique things, uh, three videos right before it. Uh, three pictures right after it, and then I went back into my normal routine on Instagram. And and a picture, a worded picture that I posted right after the video, which was everything about the video, was you cannot enslave a mind that knows itself, that values itself, that understands itself. Yet, we aren't willing to do the work to understand self. We believe the talking heads. We, we believe the overnight made-up root workers and conjurers. That's on Instagram. That's on YouTube. That's on Twitter. But the minute we start discussing proof, facts, documents, history, geology, folks get numb because we still don't want to do the work. Still don't want to do the work. And so she posted another worded post specifically about voodoo and the spelling. And she uniquely called voodoo with four O's the bastard children of Haiti. So I'm going to ask you again, are your ancestors bastards? Are you a bastard? I particularly have an issue with bastards. You know, in the realm of profanity, you know, curse words, you might say, well, that's not too bad, at least not today. Once upon a time, to be called a bastard was one of the worst things that you could call somebody. But now in this day where we have embraced the absence of the black man in the household, the absence of the black man in the family, that's normal to us now. Oh, I, 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 my baby daddy, that's normal to us now. My baby mama, that's normal to us now. And, and it speaks to the division of, uh, of the family. I hear bastard that, that, that you know, you might as well stick a pin in my, in my neck. Bastard. I've got siblings. Siblings. My dad got a lot of kids. My mama got two. My dad got a lot of kids. I don't like the word bastard. I don't like the word step. I don't like stepsister, stepbrother. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. Because once you step into that role of parenting, you're either parent or you're not. You're either a visitor in the house or, or, or you're not. So bastard, to me, is, is how low can you go? So we've we, always been considered bastard children. And when we think about race, I'm going to bring back to where we were. Forgive me, neophyte, because I went off on the tangent. 
Oh, no, that, that's just fine because I got something to add right down to that. Yeah, so when I when I think back to, again, the idea of we black first, okay, I expect that when we're talking about how we are dealt with by white America, you know, and the rest of the world. But when I think about how we treat each other, how we treat each other, and how we accept the position of bastard child, we willingly accept the position of bastard child. I, I can't accept it. I can't accept it. And so, well, as well, uh, we definitely bastard. shouldn't. Um, well, now, when it comes to uh, BLM or Black Lives Matter, if you read the original manifesto that's on their page, in the rhetoric used is where you get a long-winded version of acknowledging being bastards or what I like to call minority. If you accept that term minority, then essentially you're accepting the same uh, pseudonym or name, nickname bastard. You're accepting it because first and foremost, as black people, we're nowhere near a minority on this planet. Second, when you're looking at the legal name minority, it's not. It doesn't mean that you are the small group. It means that you are minor in thinking. You're unresponsible. You're not responsible to be able. Uh, you're not responsible enough to maintain your yourself. So you are a minor. This is the legal uh, uh, term, not just the, the term that we've come to know that we're just a minor people. We're, 13% of the population, blah, blah, blah. I know all that percentage. But when you look at the legal document of it, it has nothing to do with percentile. Nothing, absolutely nothing to do with how many people are in the United States at all. It is a legal term that means that you are unqualified to maintain yourself. That means that somebody else has to be responsible for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a bastard. Right? That's your emancipation. It's the same terms being used to identify us as. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're, we're, we're really looking at these, these words and whatnot, these names that we're acknowledging. You know, that's when you start trying to figure out, okay, well, the game is fixed. It's been fixed. Are we going to fix the game or exempt ourselves from the game altogether? Right. Right. Now, now, now when they say, okay, well, we black first, Okay, but where then are you doing that work to provide a safe space for me, to provide a safe space for the black woman, to provide a safe space for for the black children? The Black Panthers started the food program in in school. Do do y'all know this? Do y'all understand this? I remember going to the park to to get my food. But it's one of the reasons that they were, you know, stamped out. Tried to be stamped out anyway. And when I look at COVID nineteen and, and and the food shortage here in New Orleans, they're still feeding families every Saturday morning right across the street in Mahalia Jackson. And, and I think about the systems of getting food to people now is predicated on something that we built, that we created, and yet many people in, within our own community demonize the Black Panther. Then. And even now, 
I also compare that idea of we are bastards to um, word usage and the word nigga. You know, at, at, at what point do we just embrace some negative word labeling that has been placed on us and then make it our own? So, some would say, you know, it, it's my right to use the N-word as, as long as you're black. Some would say it's my right to use the N-word on other black people as long as you're black. I don't agree with that, never have, any more than I agree with bastards and, and how we use that. But more than how we say it, how it manifests in our, base, in our behavior, we treat each other like bastards. And, and when we make baby mama, baby daddy, we, we popularize that. Just beneath the surface of that is the acceptance of bastardization within our community. And, and we can't just lie down for that. We can't just agree with that. So we've got to grow our understanding of self. Somebody in the chat said that. We've got to grow our understanding of self, not just back to the motherland, back to the continent, but back to the beginnings of humanity quite possibly back to the, the origins of humanity from somewhere else in the sky, somewhere else, you know, in, in the galaxy, ancient alien intervention. Um, we've got right. to... Better go talk to the Dogons <laughs> and get an understanding what they were talking about. That's right. And when I think of, you know, people like the Dogons who don't have these you know, pronouns, he and she and his and hers and and gay, straight and bisexual and all the labeling, you know, that Western culture has sort of forced to the surface because in order to, to provide, you know, sort of an, a, a fair and even equal platform for everybody, you, you have to kind of know what everybody is. And so there's this sort of labeling, this forced labeling, this condition of labeling that we do in Western society uh, in the hopes of bringing about clarity, but it also creates the greater degree of division where people think, you know, you should look a certain way, walk a certain way, talk a certain way, and then therefore you are. Um, I want to remind you of, again, COINTEL and the most recent uh, update on um, not just, you know, foreign manipulation in social media and in the president election, but active manipulation within America, within our community, and particularly as it relates to bots, BOTS, and people pretending to be black or hold the ideas and concerns of black people in social media with the desired effect of manipulating you. And some of you are easily manipulated. Put some red, black, and green on it. Put, put a bunch of Bob Marley pictures. You know, put a few pictures of, of the naked black breast, and, and you've already clicked like and follow. You, you already write, and you have no idea who's behind the post, who's behind the comment, who's behind, behind the profile. Uh, the mimicking that we see in Instagram Yes, Father Divine. I talked about Father Divine, Cherie, uh, a few weeks ago. <laughs> I did a segment 
on Father Divine, Reverend Ike, um, Fred Price, T.D. Jakes. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I find it uh, funny. But the last couple of weeks, I've been receiving uh, posts. People wanted to message me from Instagram. But I look at their page, and they've got zero followers. They've got zero people that they're following. They've got zero pictures posted. I'm like, okay, well, who are you, and why are you trying to contact me? I don't know you from a can of paint, but yet you seem to want to send me a message. I know it was mostly the uh, political campaign um, uh, algorithms sending out messages and whatnot. But then in the middle of that, there's still other ones that are blended in that have like maybe four, five posts, two and three followers, things of that nature. And I'm like, okay, you fall under the same category. Who are you? Why are you trying to contact me? Where did you meet me? Things of that nature. You, right. you, you know, you, you unfamiliar to me, bro. That's <laughs> you, right. You can find something else. Uh, ja Queen, um, your your question your question suggests I'm trying to find my words because some some people find me to be abrasive and aggressive. I'm trying to find my words. Your comment suggests someone who's not initiated, who's not officially educated about a particular path or system. And and in my house, your path, your lineage, your system. So I teach, as my elders taught me, you can't do anything without your ancestors, baby. You're getting by on your ancestors. And if you're not initiated, trained, studied in, in ATR, African Traditional Religious System, Again, I say, and I suggest, you getting by on your ancestors. You can't really communicate with Papa Legba. It's like, um, like, um, it's like some random guy or girl walking up to you on the street and grabbing you by the arm, hugging you up. Let, let me see what's in your purse. Let, let me look at, you know, finger your, you'd be offended. You'd feel some kind of way. You'd say, hey, back up. I don't know you. Where you come from? You know, so trying to activate deities that you aren't initiated in, particularly older, more ancient ones, beyond the Orisha, you know, Greek gods, Ancient Egyptian gods, I find the lack of knowledge of the traditions of the cultural, ethnocultural practice suggests that your prayer is hitting the ceiling and coming back. Now, it doesn't mean that Legba, Ogu, Ososi can't show up in your dreams, show you imagery, show you symbolism particularly as we are greater exposed to it. But your question suggests contact, contact. So I'm, I'm transferring contact into the, you know, the next part of that statement. 
why do people go straight to Papa Legba first? You go to your ancestors first. Papa Legba is the crossroads. Papa Legba opens and closes the doors. Papa Legba uh, uh, is your communication pipeline between earth and heaven, if you will, between earth or man, humanity, and woman, and the gods, if you will. Um, so there's also a bit of um, mystery attached to how we say Papa Lake Befers, but those who are actively involved in the Trish tradition know there are at least three things that we do that we acknowledge even before Papa Lake comes into the ceremony. So your premise is correct. Your premise is correct. Um, now, the second question, getting help on your journey, beloved, email me, divineprince at houseofthedivineprince.com. Now, listen, I'm not easy to work with. I'm just keeping it real. Ask Arisha. Ask who do occultism. <laughs> I'm not easy to work with. And it's not that I'm a bad person or I'm a mean person or, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I have limitations in terms of my socialization. You know, personally, I'm, I'm not very social. Personally, I'm not as, you know, bubbly and outgoing and, and boisterous, you know, as kind of what you get in this, this space. Um, I tend to be more, uh, to use one of my friend's words, uh, more like a university professor. And so I can lecture, I can talk, I can teach. Uh, Joe Biden and, and Trump, Joe Biden is being compared to uh, uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I might be a little bit more aggressive form, the black aggressive form of Mr. Rogers. Um, I'm going to give you books, beloved, bibliographies, detailed information, but in terms of teaching, I got a I got a set program. It, it comes from forty or more years of teaching, sharing this information. Um, it comes up forty or more years of understanding how to operate in the realm of, of ancestors and and Orisha and and Egons and and Gede and and Loa. But it also comes from twenty five years of navigating social media. And so I'm often having to undo social media, undo um, a lot of what people think they already know and understand about the tradition. And that's where yeah, things a, come on in. Those are very good, uh, very good uh, points. It's one of the main reasons why I, I gravitate towards your channel and your show now, because from my experience, there's very good freaking reason why you want to have somebody who is not going to sugarcoat this stuff and teach you the right way uh, because you're, you're no chemist. And this is like chemistry work. You're not qualified. You don't have the degrees to, to put these chemicals together to, to, to practice this stuff, let alone the spiritual part where our ancestors, our great, great ancestors, broke it down to a science 
to be able to master the and blend the physical with the spiritual. You need somebody who is well-versed. Otherwise, you could really jack yourself up. And I'm not just saying this just to, you know, cooperate necessarily. I'm saying this from experience that you go, you, you go down some dark stuff yeah. and you're going to need somebody that is there. That's and great, I'm, you, I'm saying that very seriously. That's a great segue into Ja Queen's next question. Uh, how then do I define shadow work? She said she was told you have to do shadow work before you can help anyone else. I absolutely agree. 100% Ja Queen. 100. I would also add to that that shadow work, because you said shadow work before you can help someone else. Yet you have to do a great degree of your shadow work. But I want to add to that, it's a lifelong process. For me, for my mama, who was born in 1942, you know, for your great-grandmama, for, for, of any age, it's a lifelong process. Um, I wish we could defeat racism overnight, in a week, in, in one big event, in, in one big, you know, signing of a document. But that's not reality. That's not reality. We have to cleanse every mind, every consciousness, every every footprint of that system in our economy, in our education, in our spiritual walk, in our pop cultural walk. So it's a lifelong process. Now, so do your shadow work before you can help somebody. That's a relative truth, not necessarily an absolute truth. An absolute would mean You'd have to be perfect and clean and pure before you can help anybody else. And we know that's not a reality. I got shortcomings. I got my own BS, okay? Except I do my shadow work, so I'm aware of it. And I will often tell you, like I'm telling you now on this show, like I tell my clients, listen, I got Asperger's, and it makes me very quirky. Very detail-oriented. Things have to line up a certain way in my head to, to make sense. And, and I don't detour. Very hard to get me a detour, you know. So shadow work, let me define it. Shadow work is addressing all your dark corners, all your hidden edges, all that stuff that you don't talk to your mom about. Don't share with your best girlfriend. Don't talk to your, your friends or your coworkers about all that stuff that you know, all that stuff that's deep within you, there's that stuff that travels through families, particularly broken families, families with missing parents, daddy not there, mama not there, grandparents not there, etc. And as I was mentioning earlier in the show, we've accepted that to a certain degree. Based on how we identified family in the early 70s, block parties, holidays, family reunions. That, that was normal. That was every day. Now you hear I'm going to a family reunion. That's rare. You, now you hear I'm having a block, block party. That's rare. And our whole attitude about family has always sort of been manipulated and corrupted from the outside for the black family, you know. But even now in, in a modern context, it, it continues to change. It continues to evolve. The, the goalposts 
keeps moving. So, yes, now we're being asked to accept, you know, two female-headed households, two male-headed households, a different dynamic of, of family, adoption, you know, of course, your, your, your half-siblings, you know, we're now being asked to accept a different dynamic, a different definition of what family is. And with that often comes shadow work, shadow work, your own deficits, your own shortcomings, your own demons. I assure you that in helping others, and I don't know quite exactly what you mean by helping others, but but let's say you're talking about healing, teaching, educators, practitioners, spiritualists. Yeah, you have to be willing to not only do your shadow work, before, but every day after thereafter. Your client cases will dredge up your shadow work. It'll prick your emotion. You hear enough pain, enough struggle, enough hard time, enough challenge. It, it absolutely should invoke that which exists within you. And see, right now, please forgive me for being political. We got a, a president who mirrors a larger segment of our society. Because let's be clear, he ain't just one demon by himself in the White House. This man is fueled by a, 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 a segment of our society who think like him, believe like him, find what he does, says, demonstrates to be absolutely acceptable. So right now, from a human perspective, we're expecting him to empathize, to sympathize, to humanize, to understand the dynamics of COVID now that you have had the COVID. I'm beginning to think that he faked the COVID just based on his behavior. He either faked the COVID based on his behavior or he's really extreme in the definition of of, um, self-centered, selfish. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Starts with an N. Narcissistic. Narcissistic. He's got to be the most extremist narcissist we've ever seen. If you can't now empathize, sympathize with the pain of watching other people die, watching other people be separated from their families, watching seniors be isolated from their families for months and sometimes getting COVID and still dying without ever seeing their family, you would expect him to humanize that, to feel some emotion to that. So a worker, a healer, a spiritualist has to be able to do their own shadow work. Anytime I hear I'm having a problem with my marriage, we got this many children, we both have, you know, an ex or this or that, it drudges up my own story. It reminds me of my own past. It reminds me of all the hell my dad took my mom through. It, it, it reminds me of the challenges that me and my siblings still face. Some of my siblings still don't quite get it. You know, he treated you and your mom and your family one way, and he treated me and my mom and my family a different way. That creates shadow work. Love and relationships, oh, my goodness. So many of you are blocked up, challenged up in your love and relationship house. And then when you start telling your story, what you've been through, what you suffered from, abuse, 
or, or abuses, domestic violence, financial violence, you know, that creates shadow work because it's too easy to just say, oh, okay, it's over, you know, let me move on to the next thing. Because that's what pop culture would have you to do. That's what your president would have you to do. He would have you to think that he actually had COVID, and in a matter of three days, he's good. He's perfect. He's never felt better. And so the idea is man up, woman up, you know, put your big panties on, you know, fight it back. You should be okay. And we've bought into that culturally. That, you know, it's in the past, I'm an adult now, just forget about it, you know, okay, so I don't have a dad, move on. That's a sensitive issue for me, because my mom didn't have a dad. My mom was a single child with a mother who married four times, and with a dad who was never present, who then went on to create another family. So, I get it. And so that's why you have to do your shadow work. You have to. If two people, three people gather together, and we see this on the Internet all the time, have shared complaints, have a shared challenge, uh, let's make up something just for an example. You know, we all hate men. I hate men. You hate men. She hates men. You know, and, and then they find some common now you know commonality in that and maybe they become good friends you know just out of that but then you'll find that your peer group will prevent you from growing will prevent you from healing will prevent you from moving on and the minute you say oh well you know I, I don't feel that way anymore or I've grown to another level that group will then try and suppress you and your ability to grow uh, we see the same thing with religion. How many of you call me and we end up talking about the negative religious responses within your family, within the dynamics of your house? I ask, do your mama know you practice hoodoo? Do your daddy know you practice hoodoo? Do your grandmama know you practice hoodoo? I'm not only challenging the, the faiths, to be more real, but I'm also speaking to the reality of does your people know you practice voodoo? And so I can't tell you how many people every day I talk to who are, you know, I, 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 I have to bring it, but then I also have to find a way to move it forward for my children or for my parents or for my sisters and brothers, because they're ultimately going to see your shrine, see your altar, See the change in your behavior. See the change in your disposition. See you all of a sudden wearing all white. See you all of a sudden wearing lakeys and beads. And at some point, who you really are has, has to come out. Who you are, really are has to be spoken to. <clears throat> and that's one of the points I made in the, the documentary on PBS in this first segment. Um, people walk around with, with their Christianity on their shoulders on their chest, on, on their jewelry, on, on their fine gold, and, and we accept it, Christian or not. <laughs> Many of you are still hiding in the shadows with your voodoo, hiding in the shadows with your conjuring, your root work. And, and, and we've got to address that. We, we don't have to hide anymore. 
we don't have to be isolated. And isolation is an illusion. We don't have to be isolated anymore. We can now come out in the open. Uh, That's kind of funny because uh, I think people come out of the closet with their sexuality before they come out in the closet with their spirituality. Yes. It's kind of funny to me. Yes. Yes. I I, I agree with that. It's just like the black revolutionary that says, boy, you, you, you was born black first. Well, when it comes to the gay community, you know, they look at gay first. In the gay community, I'm considered not gay enough. I'm too Afrocentric. I'm too black. I'm too, you know, I'm not doing a twirl and, and, and talking about pop culture and obsessing about the Kardashians. And, you know, and it continues that false narrative about what gay is, about what black is. Or about what African is. I saw a comedian uh, the other day. It might have been um, Michael Blackston. Oh, you all were expecting a National Geographic African, so I should be naked with a thong, you know, with, with a thong on, a loincloth on. You know, we we have all these misconceptions and labeling and boxes that we try and put each other in. A conscious Nash. I want to answer some of these questions before I before I end the show. Uh, let me check my phone line. Okay, Blog Talk Radio, you're good. Okay, Conscious Nash is asking: Would you say that you must be initiated into Kudu and Voodoo, or working with your Orisha by another who is versed in the knowledge? Absolutely, absolutely. I like how Neophyte Bokor compared it to chemistry. I like to compare it to cooking. You know, flour, sugar, vanilla extract, baking powder, you know, whatever. If you don't know how to cook, you can't do any more with those ingredients than what your knowledge will allow for. Okay, so you can buy a recipe book. Okay, it's plenty of recipe books, recipe websites, you know, that still don't make you top shelf. Now, can someone be an at-home cook and reach chef level? Absolutely. Absolutely. If some of y'all in, in this audience right now can cook, can throw down, but you didn't do it in a weekend, you didn't do it in a month, you didn't do it in a year, and you absorbed your mama's or your daddy's or your whoever's energy and knowledge and then maybe you read some books, some recipes. Maybe you watched the cooking channel. Remember that cooking channel? You know, but that still don't make you five-star chefs. And so uh, Conscious Nash, absolutely. And unfortunately, even more so because of the availability of information. Um, people, I'm often asked, what should I read? What books should I, you know, read them all. Read them all. But at the same time, the knowledge and the power and the information that you often seek is not readily available in the book. So we can read chemistry books. We can read every book in the chemistry section. It will not give us the power to create nuclear science. It won't give us the power to create, you know, a spaceship necessarily. And if we are able to read and study enough to learn to build our own spaceship, it ain't going to happen in two or three years. 
And it's not going to be an easy journey. And somewhere on that journey, you're going to end up seeking the advice of more qualified individuals. Even if you're building your own spaceship, at some point, you're going to email, you're going to call somebody with a little bit more knowledge and say, am I on the right path? I'm having a question about this particular part. And so hoodoo and voodoo is, is very much the same. It's very much the same. So, yeah, I, I think um, initiation, apprenticeship, mentorship is, is important to adequately moving forward in the traditions. I like that about you, Goddess initi- Initiative. Straight, no chaser. Yes, shadow work is ongoing. Uh, Conscious Nash gives honor and veneration to all the ancestors, whether close or ancient. I like to say whether known or unknown through prayer and also calling them for assistance to make my knowledge wisdom. Yes, absolutely. Conscious Nash, absolutely. There's not one wrong point in what you just said. Not one. Not one. And and so by tapping your ancestors, they actually will feed your pursuit of higher information, higher learning, higher study. And and we all have heard, you know, when students are ready, the teacher will come. We've, we've all have heard that. But, yeah, you can absolutely study your way, read your way into enlightenment. I'm just suggesting that it's not easy. And I'm suggesting that it can't happen without elders, without mentorship, without connecting with others who've made that that journey. Yeah, I used to love me some Fred Price, Tasha, back in the day. <laughs> I used to love Fred Price. He was cute back in the day, too. Sandra C., thank you so much, beloved, for your continued support and, and participation in the show. Uh, the term was coined by Carl Jung. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. that, that and, and I consider myself to be familiar with many of his precepts. I didn't know that. Thank you, Sandra. See, that, that makes it even deeper for me uh, because it is psychological. It is psychiatric. It is mental health. It is every aspect of going into our heads and understanding our God self, our God consciousness. Yes, Goddess Initiative, it's, it's serious. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and if you can get them to do it in a week, uh, you're doing good. You do, you're doing better than me if you can get them to do it in a week. <laughs> I have some that it, it takes some time. And, and, and listen, I have long patience. Never be put off by my disposition, by what I say. I got long patience, long patience, more than most people, more than most people. Um, I've had people say all kind of stuff to me. I'm sure I've said all kind of stuff to people. And I can pick up and keep going, pick up and keep going, because ultimately I never lose focus on what it is we're doing. Now, now once I clarify what we're doing or not doing, okay, then I can – you know, I can I can move on. I, I can walk away. But as long as I've committed to a point, to a purpose, to a goal, 
I have long patience, long patience. Yeah, Trump represents an element of our society that's very real. Uh, for me, unfortunately, I came to that awareness the week of the election four years ago. And I had to ask myself, who in this neighborhood, who on this movie set voted for this man and why? And I noticed, you know, even in my Facebook, my social media, some of my Hollywood folk, Hollywood South folk, who early on was supporting Trump, you know, posted all their little memes and crazy stuff, who have gone silent all of a sudden. Now that we see things a little a little differently, um, people take their politics very real. I know people who have cut off people, who have blocked people over the Trump-Biden thing. And I'm sure it happened over the, you know, uh, Obama, you know, during his uh, election. Oh, you're going to see the uh, divide between um, my coworkers, my fellow drivers out here. Never have I seen more reality come to the surface than right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you think people was flying Confederate flags before? Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's not the Confederate flag that I'm necessarily worried about because I know that, you know, the differences between the two is when I start seeing the much older uh, flags that I start worrying because those ones that fly the much older flags or the, the, the distinctions between the flags those are the ones that actually have some knowledge. Those are the ones that I actually have a little more uh, interest in, mm-hmm. wondering how much they really know. I, I'm a little hesitant around those types. But if you're flying a Confederate flag, I'm not really worried about you too much because you meh, really ain't studied much. You're going along with the crowd. Just like, right. your, just like your red mega hat. Okay, you know, <laughs> you you just going along with the crowd. You you just glad to be there. You know, there's still that that unfortunate entertainment element to who this man is. So any opportunity, you know, to get on the news, to be on TV, you know, to, to even be shown representing with this man or for this man, like those two unfortunate black sisters. You know, where they from, Texas. Georgia, where they from, you know, they're just happy to have their 15 minutes of Trump fame on television. We don't know who they are. We won't even know who they are anymore, you know, once the Trump thing is over. They will recess back into their their lives. So um, I, I agree with you. I'm more concerned about the hidden mindset, the hidden communities of people who, who in the past, you know, helped a racist, white supremacist ideology and, and sort of could mask them to some degree in their high tower, in the suburb, you know, could mask it. And now, you know, they feel comfortable to come right out and tell you. And, and I'm, you know, like, like the Goddess Initiative, serve it up straight. I'd much rather know that you are a homophobe. I'd much rather know that you are a racist. I'd much rather know that you are a white supremacist than to have you mask it. I'd much rather know. Give me the opportunity to block, to stay away from you, to to not have to deal with you. Give me that opportunity. 
don't tip around, <laughs> you know, don't sneak around, you know, just just come out with it, you know, put put your Trump picture up on your Facebook or whatever, you know, and, and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, and, and, and I sort of referenced that early in the conversation with the Black Lives Matter. Um, you are seeing, at least I am, uh, I'm seeing people from America to Europe just fall off in Twitter because I'm using Black Lives Matter, because I'm posting Black Lives Matter. But I'm also seeing black folk who are now buying into this sort of COINTEL campaign who are now decidedly anti-Black Lives Matter, who somehow see Black Lives Matter as some gay agenda subgroup. Uh, Neophyte Bokor, do you even know what I'm talking about? I, I don't even know where that chain of thought um, comes from. Yeah, I, I, I do uh, have an idea as to where it comes from. Uh, specifically, the original manifesto that, it, that was posted on Black Lives Matter, uh, their website is what put people up. Because when you break down the words used in that manifesto, it clearly is against um, the normal construct of the black family. Okay, what's the normal construct of the black family? Well, the oldest one, uh, man, woman, and child. I mean, that's that's okay. what it... Hold on. I mean, not... Okay, mm-hmm. I am man, woman, I'm the child. I got a mom, I right. got a dad, and I'm the child. I'm not challenging you, I'm challenging the mindset. It still includes me. It still includes LGBT. Still. Exactly. We can't hear you. It looks like I'm getting a call interrupted right now. Okay. Because it it turned your volume down, so we can't hear you. Until it stops ringing, we can't hear you. Yeah, this this thing is... uh, My phone is temperamental. I don't know. It it has has a mind of its own sometimes. Let me say this real quick before you continue. Sandra C., um, he he was elected by the Electoral College. And many people still have a problem with the electoral college. So, so I agree with you in, 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 that, in that sense. Uh, go ahead, Neophyte Bokor. Finish helping me to understand why that's a, why that's a problem. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I've, listen, I'm going to be honest. I've never been to their but website. The problem is uh, well, the problem is that's where a lot of people are finding their issue. It's because of the language used in their manifesto that uh, put people off. Because uh, as black people, we don't have a problem with what you identify as, uh, identify with. I mean, we, we've been inclusive to everything in the first place. It's this outside influence that keeps uh, pushing this, this division between us in the first place. Now, the right. way, just, just in the how you the word word that, used in that first manifesto before they took it down and really put it back up is what put people off, in my opinion. Okay, so you're saying that it supported a, a traditional, quote-unquote, traditional black family, and then they changed it to what? Well, 
So they didn't they didn't change it uh, from the traditional black family. They were saying they're against the traditional black family, or not just the traditional black family, but the the traditional family structure in the first place. I mean, I, it, it's one of those things that's like if you read into it, it sounds like it's for not just uh, uh, something different, which Again, that part is extra. That's added in there. Mm-hmm. It's the the age, uh, uh, the ageism, I guess you would say, where you have the older generation trying that uh, older generation. I'm trying to be very subtle in my language here. Pedophilia is what I'm trying to say in their um, manifesto. Not necessarily being gay or straight, but being a pedophile. What does pedophilia have to do with? I'm so lost. That's what I'm saying. What does that have to do with Black Lives Matter? And that's what's written in their manifesto. The manifesto is the first page. I know know I'm asking you to pull this out of your head because you're driving. I get that. But I need you to tell me exactly what is this saying about pedophilia? Are they saying they agree with it? Yes. Okay, I, let, let me say it again. Yes, I've never. You're breaking um, up. I, I would definitely, I would definitely um, uh, encourage people to actually go and read it for themselves. Don't just take my word for it, because I had to read it myself in order to see. Well, okay, there's something a little weird in that 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 language that they're using. Especially if well, I'm, I'm, I'm always breaking down words. I'm always decoding what well, like the definitions, the the thing behind the word. But it's constructed. It, that that is putting people off. Now, Black Lives Matter, as as far as what it started off as, maybe seven years ago, is different from what it is now. I don't know. I, I'm not too like too savvy on that part of the history. But from just from what I saw in that first manifesto that I seen was like, okay, I want to support Black Lives Matter. As a matter of fact, I believe that Black Lives Matter. But this corporation or this company that is behind the supporting of it is what's a little off. I mean, it's Black Lives Matter all day for me. However, this company that is behind it is is what's in question. The, just the American side, not the British side or the, the, the European black uh, black groups that are uh, using that hashtag Black Lives Matter. Okay, you breaking up? There's no agenda. They're still using it. Yeah, I'm breaking up pretty bad here. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're breaking up really, really bad. Um, so try and come back. Um, I'll be here a few more minutes. Abella. Mitchell Austin, um, the glorification of hexing culture. Um, Yes, of course. Um, I I say all the time that voodoo is nature. There's no voodoo without nature. So the implication is, you know, that we first approach nature, spirit, beyond the ancestor, nature, spirit, for healing, for wellness, for wholeness for recreation, for building, for repair. 
the idea of hexing may have first originated as sort of a pushback to slavery, enslavement, white supremacy. Now, we can look at West Africa and, and document a history of witchcraft and people doing bad things to disrupt people's crops, to disrupt uh, people's families, to disrupt the continuity of, of a community. Uh, but it was limited in comparison to how hexing sort of dominates um, pop culture today. Uh, if we speak about conjure, root work, voodoo, witchcraft, magic, black magic, you know, there's a heavier uh, focus on hexing, um, doing harm to others, uh, stealing somebody else's wife or husband, uh, uh, creating, you know, inroads to things that otherwise you may not have access to or in some cases should not have access to. Uh, the over glorification, uh, the glorification of hexing uh, comes from a place of ego, a place of self, a place of only wanting to, you know, get what you get by any means necessary and not necessarily um, do the work, grow, evolve, you know, to, to whatever location someone is trying to achieve um, in life. The hexing also looks good, you know, in the movies. It looks good in cartoons. Uh, hexing sounds good, you know, in, in literary pursuits, in, in, in fictional books and, and whatnot. Um, but you don't hear a whole lot of, you know, hexing for freedom, hexing for justice. Why, why aren't we hexing Donald Trump? Why aren't we hexing everyone on the judicial committee who are allowing this sham of a of a process, you know, to take place? Why, why isn't that where the focus of the hexing is? Now, let me be clear. I'm hesitant because I'm about to say something profound that I've never said here before. I do that kind of work. I don't talk about it. If I'm hexing someone, if I'm working on someone, I don't say their name. I don't mention them. So I don't get on air and talk a whole lot about dark magic, binding, hexing, etc. Every now and then the question is thrown out there. And I'm re-throwing the question out there again. Why aren't you all, who claim to be proficient workers, proficient practitioners, working for much bigger demonstrations, for much bigger change and transformation? So, yeah, there's a, a, a exorbitant glorification, Bella, of, of hexing. Uh, and it's not just a black thing. It's a social media thing. It's a pop cultural thing. You know, the idea of, of controlling, manipulating, gaining, you know, through through hex work. Yeah, I agree the Goddess Initiative, um, and that's my position. Uh, Black Lives Matter should be separate as a concept, if you will, from this organization and all the political maneuvering that's going on now behind the scenes. Uh, I was hoping you had more to say because my most recent update um, is that someone, either the head of the organization, um, has a Warner Brothers contract. 
So now it's a movie or, or a documentary or something now uh, is about to come out of this Black Lives Matter thing. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to admit um, I'm a little ignorant about Black Lives Matter as an organization. I've never been to their website. And until right now, I never even paid attention. So I'm, I promise you, I'm going to read. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to kind of see what, what's going on, and I have more to say about it uh, moving forward. Yes, Moon Luck Love. I love your picture, too, by the way. Um, I love people that's got a nice picture, the Goddess Initiative, you know, Neophyte Bokur, get a real picture. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm working on Okay. I, I agree with you about hexing, Moon Luck Love says. It's about ego. A lot of people get caught up in the aesthetic of witchcraft and hexing. They think it's cute, and it's not. And that's absolutely, you know, a truth. Uh, I've got a lot of frenemies behind my position on that very thing, uh, particularly in Twitter for some reason. (laughs) But the minute someone else posted, somebody 20, 21, 22 posted and said the very same thing, uh, then it's viral. Um, also, Goddess Initiative, I did see your earlier comment that you posted um, something, an animal or something, 10,000 likes in Instagram. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting about what goes viral, what people pay attention to versus uh, truth, documentation, proof. That, that, that kind of takes the wind out of their sail, and then they don't want to play anymore. <laughs> you know? Yes, indeed. Um, y'all, I'm about to uh, stop and, and have lunch. I would like to address all your questions, your comments, your requests. I'm always grateful for you taking the time out of the middle of your day, uh, wherever you are in the world, to be a part of this sacred space that we create here, Revolutionary Voodoo, New Orleans Voodoo Secrets and Recipes, at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time, um, and, and I'm always grateful. Uh, I'm so thankful for Kenya and Ethiopia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, South Africa, Cameroon, Nigeria, Ghana. I, I'm always grateful for Morocco and, and Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Indonesia, India. Vietnam, I'm always amazed, Cambodia, Pakistan, by who listens, China, Turkey, Bulgaria, Greece, I mean, why? (laughs) Why? I mean, I get it, I'm sharing a truth, I'm sharing something that's edifying, that's powerful, but I'm just, I'm always amazed. I'm going over my blog talk radio uh, virtual map. Uh, Russia, people are listening, Italy, people are listening in London, France, people are listening to the show, Um, and and I'm always grateful. I'm I'm eternally grateful for those who are doing the work, and not only doing the work, doing it successfully, doing it well, Um, and then moving forward to the next level. I see a day where we're not in secret, I see a day where we're not hidden or tucked away. I see a day when we're legitimized. 
I see a day where we're not lumped together with, with the fortune tellers and, and the readers and, and, and all, you know, that sort of pop cultural stuff. I live to see a day where we're just as viable an option as any church, any mosque, any synagogue. I'm, a, I'm in living that. I, I'm experiencing that. But I, I hope to see that day where it's more universal, where that truth is just as real here as it is in West Africa, as it is in, in Europe. That we're keeping these traditions alive. Our brothers and sisters are really up against a battle of Christianity and Islam and capitalism in the motherland and in indigenous parts of the world. So the idea of survival of these practices and traditions is, is just a profound thing to think about. But one more thing I want to share um, also before I leave the air with you today. Um, I'm curious about your opinion. I'm being asked by a school. I won't say which one or where. I'll say it's in the Eastern Seaboard. Um, they're hoping to hire a practitioner, a witch doctor, to use their words, to cast a spell for their students. They are reading a novel which features black magic. This is the author's words. Hello, I'm an English teacher from who is hoping to hire a witch doctor to cast a spell for my students. We are reading a novel that features black magic. I was wondering if you have ever conducted a ritual over Zoom and what your rates might be. Thank you. Now, for you, that might be real simply put. <laughs> for me, you know, in my Asperger's, this is one of the most complex emails that I have to pick, you know, what does black magic mean? What do they think black magic means? Um, witch doctor, cast a spell. What, what do they think that means? Um, I'm curious about the book, and I'm going to ask. Well, I need more information. I'm curious about the book that you're pulling from. Is it Harry Potter? Is, is, you know, what book is this teacher pulling from? Uh, and I'm also concerned about, and, and I'm asking you, you know, your child is in school. Your child is in school virtually. How much and to what degree does religion play a role? Because, again, if you don't know, this is religion. This is religion. The voodoo that's being demonstrated and taught and shared here is religion. Ethnocultural, religious, spiritual practice and tradition, not witchcraft, not Magic. Now, black magic sounds cute, just like Black Lives Matter. In the context of Black Lives Matter, black magic sounds cute. In the context where our ethno-Afro traditions are sort of being mixed with witchcraft and, and, and magic, black magic don't sound that good to me. And will I have an opportunity to explain that? That's what I'm going to ask the author of the email. What's the book? What are you studying? What are you learning? To what degree will I have an opportunity to even speak to what is real and authentic about practice? And then the idea of bringing a classroom of high school students, I believe they're high school, 
I'm not sure about that, but I believe they're high school. I believe they're high school. Would you want religion introduced? Now, I know if I was sitting in class, listen, I went to a Christian junior high school for, for, for two quarters, for two quarters before I had to get out of there. <laughs> um, I was just a mess, but that's another story. Um, and so the idea of sort of ingraining religion in, in an academic setting in a class that's not religious-specific concerns me. So should I do this? What do y'all think? Yeah, Bella, I, I see you, beloved. Thank you for responding. Yeah, and, and he talked about their reading a book. She says, seems like he thinks you are a character or this is some play. And I'm okay with that. If, if he says that and he wants to talk about Frog and the Princess or whatever and, and, and sort of the representation of voodoo showing up in literature, I, I'm open to that. I just want to be clear about it. I just want to be clear about it. If I can quote Star Wars, mm-hmm. it's a trap. Now you I think it's a trap. I don't I I don't it don't feel right to me. Like it, what 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 school is this? I mean if they don't allow religion into the schools and that's a political statement, that that's a political stance that's been uh, ingrained into all of our school systems right. throughout the country. Why would you, why, why would these parents allow for a, a voodoo practitioner to come and do anything in the school? Is it, is it in the valuable belt? No matter how Are positive, no matter school? how positive, no matter how, you know, I agree with you. And, and you're thinking the way I think. I didn't mention it, but I also trap was another option. Trap was indeed another option. I thought this could be, you know. And I did a little Google. You know, you can search people, you can search email addresses, you can search, you know, details out of the the email. And I still didn't quite get, obviously, the answer that I'm I'm seeking. Um, Enzo Khalifa, I like the idea of a liability disclaimer. I actually have one. Um, I, I had to create one in the last nine months. <laughs> uh, since the PBS and, and, and some of the other, you know, Nat Geo, the History Channel, I've had to create some um, that I'm using now with some of my clients and with my hired um, help my entertainers, my dancers, my drummers, my performers, to sort of protect um, the reputation, not just my reputation, but the reputation of the practice of voodoo. So, so I agree with you. I, I, see, I agree with you on that. Uh, thank you, Frida Nunn. You have a beautiful picture as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think I should really look at it uh, a little more. Before I agree to it, I appreciate your uh, comments. That's why I brought it to this space. Uh, yeah, I hope he's reading Hurston instead of Harry Potter. This feels odd. 
Uh, but if it's a study of Hurston and he wants to discuss her writing and the history of her literary expression, then great. Uh, I, I agree. I, I agree. Oh my goodness, Enzo Khalifa, you you are down on this on this legal uh, legal ease. You you got that together. Yeah. 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 Maroon uh, Luck Love, I agree. I agree. I agree. So thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, yeah, I'm definitely, um, this is not one that I'm going to immediately jump into. Um, and I get opportunities all the time. Um, and I don't always share them until after the fact. Um, people always have something to say. People always have something to say. In my opinion, this monstrum, PBS, is one of the best things I've ever done in comparison to entertainment, fiction, um, that I've done roles in, that I've participated in, um, Fashion Trashing, which which we released Saturday night, which is a, a hand puppet show creation. It's on my, my uh, YouTube channel. Very good, but nothing compares to this in terms of archaeology, academic documentation, and the participation of the other academics that are actually in this program. And again, I invite you to keep up with Monstrum on YouTube. Let me see if I can pull up their actual actual YouTube page so that you can uh, catch the rest of the broadcast, the 16-minute, the origins of the zombie from Haiti to the U.S. is the first part of what I believe is a three-part series. And so you still have time to catch up, to watch this first installment from which I'm featured prominently. I just popped their, uh, the video information into the chat. And so you can follow that back to their channel so that you can watch the rest of, of the show that we filmed, as well as coming um, episodes that, that are on, on Voodoo New Orleans. Um, so in my opinion, it's one of the West best Thank you, uh, Sandra C. Um, in terms of comparing it to other things that I've posted, um, it's moving very slow. It's moving very slow. And, and I don't know how to think about that. Um, I, I don't know how to think about that. I, I just don't. Are we really that, you know, I, I'm struggling to find the words. Are we really there? as a culture, as a people, as black people, as Americans, as as citizens of UK, wherever you are, to that place where we just find foolishness that much more entertaining than, than truth. And here we are trying to continue to prove the truth, the reality of voodoo in America for us. Those born and raised and, and, and came through the Middle Passage who are here. 
So that's why I'm feeling some kind of way about the response to it. American Horror Story got a bigger response. And American Horror Story was not real. It was entertainment. You know, it was creativity. So um, I'm just curious, not just today, but moving forward in the future, I'm just going to be curious. And I invite you all to bring, you know, your opinions and your commentary um, here to the show so that we can talk about it. Yes, Sandra C. Um, and Neophyte Bokur, I've been trying to watch some of the other episodes, too. She actually has a Ph.D. Um, in literature, but one of her specialties is monsters. Uh, and that's how, you know, Voodoo and a zombie got caught up uh, in this documentary in, in the first place. So I invite you all to watch it, to keep up with it, uh, to be available October 30th when the remaining portions of what we filmed um, will be released. And, of course, I appreciate your, your comments. Uh, Neophyte Bokor, did you have um, any more comments or questions or things you want to say before I uh, begin to close out the show? The moving slower is because people are still tied to their uh, Christian heaven insurance plan that they call religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're too afraid to stray away from it because they, they, they're they unsure of what's on the other side. So they tie, they, they cling to what they know, what they know is religion. So it's more, it's, rather than looking at it as spirituality, it kind of feels more like an insurance plan. You don't like it, but you keep paying into it so that you're Unfortunately, I agree with you. And what's sad about it is there are many people listening to us right now who also agree with you. Um, we, we all got to die of something. How many times have we heard that? Um, you know, if it, if it is a God, if it is a heaven, I want to be right. How many times have we heard that? And the fear of unknown of the unknown in itself is human. But the fear of hell is deeply ingrained in the mindset of many people in the world by way of, of, of racism and white supremacy and, and that which fuels sort of the Christianizing of the world. You know, so I, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I'll leave that for, um, for now. Uh, just try to save some of that uh Yeah. Thank you so much, Bella and Sandra C. and everyone who showed up today to be a part of this this show. I most certainly look forward to sharing in this sacred space with you again. Um, Let me say this. I'm changing up the schedule a little bit. Uh, I'm trying some new things with the scheduling. I'm still probably going to be high noon, U.S. Central Standard Time. But I may now air every other day. Uh, I need to take some pressure off of my weekday schedule. It's overwhelming. 
and to and to prepare for two hours, three hours to do this show, then do a three-hour show. That's six hours out of the day. Then there's an hour, two-hour follow-up after the show. And then I get into my appointments, my work. It's overwhelming. Um, so it's also been suggested that we might have a larger audience if I broadcast on the weekend. So I'm trying to figure out a way to incorporate weekend and less broadcast during the middle of the week. So maybe every other day or twice a week in the middle of the week, and then maybe one or two broadcasts Saturday and Sunday um, and see how the dynamics change. So if I'm not here tomorrow, don't panic. I'll, I'll be here Wednesday or Thursday and look forward to me broadcasting um Saturday and Sunday of this week and and see, you know, if we can't get a slightly different energy moving through the show. I invite you all to also join me, follow me, support me on Twitter. My username on Twitter is the divine prince, the divine prince, one word, the divine prince on Twitter. Uh, of course, many of you are already following me, supporting me on Instagram. I am Divine Prince Ty Emeka on Instagram. Divine Prince Ty Emeka. Many of you are already following Divine Prince Ty Emeka on Facebook. I'm certainly eternally grateful for each and every one of you. So until next time, remember that all is truly and indeed a blessing. Respect the voodoo. Just know it's coming. I have at least three more documentary-level projects that are already in the can. I'm just waiting for them to be released. And I look forward to meeting you here again. All is truly and indeed a blessing. Thank you so much, Neophyte Bokur, for always finding a way to co-host. Even if you're driving, you, you always find a way to co-host with me, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I appreciate that. Uh, it's a great pleasure and a great honor to be here. Thank you so much. Humbled and honored to be of service. Until next time, give me a second. I'm trying to load my video, y'all. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio. Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the almost Indians, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we 
somehow recognizing the sacredness of Le Place de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment, but nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross and capitalism the ultimate triple coup de gras cross of our captivity but the terror of crosses notwithstanding we sang we beat we be we was and is hail Congo Square Congo Congo Square our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat, heart beat, heart beat at this place, at this place. Be heart beat, beat, we beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be bonza music. And sing song words which have no English translation.
Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade, but dark, dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades, eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us. To remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now. And still, this sacred ground calls us. To remember, to beat, to be. Beat Congo Square. Be Congo Square. Beat Be Beat Be Remember. 